This is the Mealtime Magic and Mayhem podcast. I'm Trisha Clark, your host, cooking coach, and kitchen mentor. We're here to talk about all things food, wine, travel, cocktails, and mealtime memories. So many memories are made around the table. We all know mealtime can be stressful, full of chaos and mayhem, but it's also the universal connector, a catalyst for communication and connection, and a time to create magic and memories. So many of our memories are tied to food, and I can't wait to share some of those stories with you here. I'm here to share ideas, inspiration, and stories to help you experience mealtime with a dash of magic and just a sprinkle of mayhem. You can expect new episodes weekly, including a mixture of interviews, personal stories, and some fun conversations about our adventures and misadventures in the kitchen and around the table. I hope you walk away feeling inspired to try something new in your kitchen or around your table to create more connection with your friends, family, and beyond. Thanks for being here. Welcome to another episode of Mealtime Magic and Mayhem. We're mixing things up a little bit today, and I have Megan Duncan here with me. She is a parenting and behavior coach, and she has a really unique perspective on cooking with kids in the kitchen. She is a foster mom and a bio mom, and she's been serving families for over 16 years. She's certified in positive discipline with a background in pediatric speech therapy and really uses proven tools of positive discipline to get kids to listen and cooperate without having to yell, bribe, threaten, or punish. She really loves to encourage parents to cook with their kiddos, and we're going to hear more about her philosophy on making connections in the kitchen, but I'm so excited to have you here to talk to us about all of these things from really building that sense of family to how we connect with kids in the kitchen to a discussion on maybe some picky eating. I think there's just a wealth of information that we could go into. So welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So could you share a bit about your journey or what does that look like? You're a parenting and behavior coach. You've got your own kids. You're bringing foster kids into your home. What does that look like? Like I can only imagine the challenges that can lie in that space because you're bringing foster kids in and there's a reason that they need to come to your home, right? They have their own challenges. And then you've got to create this cohesive household with your own children. What does that look like? And how do you use cooking to do that? So I will scream from the rooftops that cooking is the biggest bang for our parenting, but cooking with our kids. And as soon as possible, when I get a foster kiddo in, we make cookies because it touches all the points I want to touch. I can model making a mistake. I can model just cleaning it up. I can help them understand that mistakes don't define them, that we can just clean it up and move on. We can work on all the skills. Um, not that that's a priority. We can just bond and connect. And I am inviting them into this realm that has been forbidden for so many of them. They can do no wrong. We're side by side. And my bio daughter loves to come in and we become a team right off the bat. And it is cookies really do save the world, I think. So I mean, what kid doesn't love cookies? Right. And then we can enjoy them together. There's evidence of the cooperation that we had, evidence of the awesomeness of our time together and evidence that they can do good because they have forgotten so much of the time that they can do good, that they are good. So I get to load up on their goodness the whole way through, touch on all five love languages as we're cooking. And it's, it's amazing. It changes everything right off the get-go. 
Oh, that is beautiful. And it just, it gives me goosebumps. It really gives me goosebumps. The other thing I think that's really cool about you getting those kids in the kitchen, the connection is amazing. And so much of what my business is about. But I think we forget sometimes that cooking instills so many life skills from that cooperation, that connection, but also math skills, process, and probably a lot of these kids haven't had parents that are working with them on their homework and on those skills and how to problem solve when something isn't going right. And so it encompasses so much. Not only do I think it's really cool that you do that in general, but as that first connection point, that's so cool. And what a great way to get your kids involved in the process and show them what that looks like too. That's just beautiful. Just beautiful. So you've touched a little bit already, but you emphasize the importance of cooking with kids. How did you discover this unique avenue for enhancing that parent-child connection, right? Like I know you're a parenting and behavior coach, but how did you discover that cooking was that thing? Is it just because you've always loved to cook or was it an experiment? How did you discover that nugget? Right. So full transparency, I don't love cooking at all. (laughs) However... I had a preschool when my kiddo was three and we just started making our lunches together. And my preschool was way cool, play-based, nature-based. We were outside fishing all the time for crawdads. We were building dams. We were making our tents outside, playing in the mud. And the kiddos love cooking the most. Our cooking sessions for our lunch were an hour. They sat, they absorbed. And I discovered I could teach any skill or concept that I wanted them to really hone right there at the table, making cookies or pancakes or what sandwiches or whatever I'm going for. And what I, you touched on this a second ago, that math and building their vocabulary. And I loved my own transformation because there was a point when I focused on that more, but as I worked with kids more and more often, I discovered that emotional connection, the social and emotional skills are always priority. So When we have that connection, then we can talk about non-Newtonian fluids, viscosities, fractions, all those things after that connection has been made. And so that was when my kiddo was three in my preschool. And then I took that right into fostering. And in that middle interim piece, my daughter gets to explore in the kitchen as much as she wants. And she has a great sense of autonomy and self-significance. And because She just gets to go and create in the kitchen. We did have to put a boundary in place over time. And the one one boundary is whatever you create can only result in two cups at the end. (laughs) And because we had bowls of things being created. And so we have to put a little bit of a boundary. And the other thing that I actually write a lot on is hypocrisy in our parenting and Do I taste every dish she creates? Absolutely. That is how we have trust. How often do we expect our kids to taste our things or taste all the things on their plate? I will 100%, unless she has mixed baking soda and vinegar, (laughs) taste everything and we'll rate it together. And we make videos about this. I have the cutest little video since the time she was four cooking in the kitchen by herself, me tasting it. And us just giggling. And when those memories pop up, so fun. So Uh, I, yeah, I just get giddy too. I get goosebumps too. What I want to point out to our listeners is hear what Megan said. Children as young as the age of three can help you with something in the kitchen. It isn't something to wait until they're older. I moved out of the house and didn't know how to cook and ended up teaching myself. And I'm here now, but 
I would have loved that interaction in the kitchen to feel welcomed into that process, that that road would have been easier. Now, obviously, this is the road I was supposed to be on, and that's great. But help your kids develop those life skills that they are going to need when they move out. So they're not living on fast food and ramen. We all go through a ramen and mac and cheese season. Don't get me wrong. But we need to arm them with more than that. Mm -hmm. We need to arm them with more than that. So you talk a lot about modeling behavior. And in the kitchen, you really emphasize modeling quality behaviors for kids. Can you give some examples of the behaviors that parents can instill while cooking together? And I'm thinking like, quality behaviors, not necessarily the math and the cooking. Mm -hmm. Yes, but I would love to take a step back and argue that our kids can come into the kitchen month three, month four. I had my kiddo sitting in the sink when she was four months old, eating a raw beet. It looks like she was eating a rat. She's got this (laughs) red everywhere and that beet, that beet tail. And my kid will eat salads. She will eat anything. Um, and when I have foster kiddos, they come in really with palates that are very specific to certain foods, very processed foods. But as they come in, as they're empowered to explore, they end up eating so many of the things too, because their bodies are fully immersed in creating the things. So three years and younger can come into the kitchen, make sure they're safe. But when we squash opportunities and squash risks that really may not be there, I just invite us all to think, and maybe we can be a little bit more flexible with what we're doing. So, yeah, that's a really good point. I was more thinking from the, like helping you cook perspective, but absolutely Mm -hmm. having them in there. I mean, somebody younger than three can rinse the green beans in the sink and sit there and eat while you're cooking. Like that encouraging the trial of all the different kinds of foods as young as possible. And then the other thing I would say, and we'll get into more of this, I think, as we talk about picky eaters is it's not just about having them try it once because Mm -hmm. our taste buds and our tastes and our preferences change frequently throughout our lives. Mm -hmm. Flavors change based on how you cook things, right? Changes, changes so much. Sorry, just to stay on this one more second. Kiddos as young as one, they can have a bowl and they can have the components that you're cooking with, just stirring in the bowl, tasting different things. And what we're doing here is developing their skill of focus. They want to be by you anyways. My my niece can stay with her mom for an hour just stirring and whatever my sister is cooking. And my niece can be an hour with her mom just stirring things, random things. So we're developing so many different skills way beyond what we think. Yeah. And not just for them, but that makes me think of the moms that I talk to that are like, I have this newborn and I have three toddlers and I don't even have time to cook because I'm trying to wrangle them. It's a great perspective to bring them in and give them one task that's in there with you. And yes, you might have a little bit more of a mess to clean up. We're going to talk about that too, but that will also allow them to learn how to help you do that Mm -hmm. and give you a few more minutes to get that dinner on the table. Yes. So let's talk about perfectionism. Okay. How can parents let go of the pressure to be perfect in the kitchen and focus on that connection rather than the outcome? I know perfectionism is, I'm a recovering perfectionist Mm -hmm. and it really came out in how I attempted to cook for my family and a source of the frustration for me that kind of led me on this journey. And so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on those ideas. I would love to invite us all to think about perfectionism as 
just throw it out the window because it's so limiting. And honestly, what the dish looks like doesn't matter. It's about the connection of how that dish came to be. And it's about us being present and being involved in the process, being present in the process. Those three Ps, let go of perfectionism because we're perfectly imperfect. And if we just are present and are asking questions and just being part of the process, the food's going to end up on the plate and we're going to eat the food and the kitchen's going to be messy. Yeah, but it's going to be messy anyways. We're going to spend the time anyways, keeping the kids out of the kitchen and then wondering where they are or just inviting them in, having them sit with bowls. We're going to spend the time anyways. That's so true. And so much of what I work on in my programs is that mindset of how do we shift that energy of perfectionism, of it feeling like a chore, the stress, the overwhelm, the having them, you know, all of those things into this is an opportunity Mm-hmm. to connect with my people, not an obligation. And we all have to eat. We're all going to, like you said, spend the time anyway, fixing the food and sitting down at the table. So we might as well make the most of that time. And so I really work with busy women and moms to really break down those barriers so that they can really approach it from that space because that stress comes out in the flavor of your food and in the quality of your food, regardless of how it looks. We're not talking everything has to be gourmet or you have to do it every night of the week but it does. Energy is contagious one way or the other. Yes. I would love to add, um, even if you can't or choose not to invite all the kiddos in and have them all lined up with their own bowls, if you are getting a sense that one of your kiddos needs an extra bit of connection, it can be so simple. Invite them in for one minute, cut the cheese, break the broccoli, whatever they can do. And then you can invite them to go back to their Legos or go back to the TV, but you were able to connect with them for a minute, highlight how amazing they are. And then in 20 minutes, when you're all sitting down, you can say, by the way, everybody, little Jack here, cut the broccoli for us. How amazing is that? And then he gets to be appreciated and then he'll want to repeat that behavior in the future. That's how we reinforce good behaviors also. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you shared a fascinating statistic with me. And one of the big challenges I hear from moms a lot is the challenge of picky eaters, right? And so I've had a lot of conversations with women about what that looks like and the different reasons why they might be picky. And I know that word can ruffle some feathers, but the truth is as parents, that's how we look at it as picky eaters until we start to understand why they're being picky, what's really behind that. And so you mentioned that, well, I'm going to let you share the statistic about how many times kids are told what to do and how that can really play into this realm. Kiddos, and I was just talking with a colleague about this, kiddos are told what to do. They're commanded or demanded 500 to a thousand times a day on average. And Kiddos who have expressive and receptive challenges and behavior challenges are even commanded and demanded upon more. And so we are adding fuel to the fire and they are going to bulk. They are going to fight. They're going to scream. They're going to ignore. They're going to insert their sense of self-preservation. I always encourage my parent clients and all of us to always put ourselves in our children's shoes and just try to experience for some perspective what that could feel like. And so I personally try to tell my children what to do zero times a day. 
Now we have systems in place where they do the things they need to do with small, very light. What should you be doing right now? Or do you have a plan? Like what's going on? Like I invite them. So it gives them power and control. We all need power and control. And we really need to, and this goes right into cooking and picky eating. Where are we as parents asserting and demanding and gaining our own power and control and why? And then how are our kiddos fighting back for their own power and control? So, you know, cooking or eating is just one thing that as long as we're providing the nutrients available to them, we can really let go of our need for control in this realm. Let it be about connection. Yes, of course, there's kiddos with true sensory stuff that really There's really things going on, but so much of the time, our kiddos are just dying for some control. And so are we. And so we create this huge power struggle around dinner time, around meal times, when honestly, that's the time that should be most precious, most calm, most preserved for connection. And we kind of ruin it a lot of the time. In that study, actually, of those commands and demands, that 500 to 1,000, most of those are given around mealtime. Three more bites. Take a taste of this. Why aren't you eating that? Go get a spoon, quit smacking all of those things. Kiddos have no choice but to bulk. Mm, That's really interesting. That's really interesting. So I guess what I would ask is you talked about having your systems in place and giving zero demands a day, but let's say you've got a mom that's starting from ground zero, right? She's got a real struggle with a picky eater. And they don't have those systems in place. What's, and I'm a big believer in starting small to create those stackable habits. Like what are a couple of small things that she can do to start creating those systems to get on that path to not creating so many orders, if you will, or demands? So it it really comes from just looking at our own childhood stuff and what happened there and why we do the things we do, because it makes a huge difference. We don't even know the things that we interpreted as kids and how they fester and pop up in us. One little system that I have in place for the cooking piece, especially, is what I call having a poopy mindset or doing the poopy approach. And so what this means is the first P is patient. We have to decide it's going to be messy. We have to decide, you know what, I'm going to just breathe through this 10, 20 minutes, whatever it takes, it's going to be messy and that's okay. So patience. And then those two O's is oopsies into opportunities. So we are going to be actually looking for those messes as opportunities. Oh, you ripped that bag of chocolate chips right open. Wow. Well, it's okay. I'll help you clean it up. Should I get the broom or you think a rag would be better? We're giving them power. We're modeling these great behaviors And then the other P is playful. Can we be playful at all? And this is where I love to touch on the five love languages myself. But if you're still starting at a foundational level, just touching their back, just aim to touch their back. Let And that lets them know that they mean a lot to you, that you are thinking about them and you're ensuring they have a sense of significance. And that alone is the number one thing to get better behavior is when our children feel significant to us. And then if it's a yes, that last why for poopy, if it's a yes to all of those, invite your kiddos in for as much time as you can and 
then there's one little system you have for success where you can just be present and let go of the perfectionism and be involved in the process. I love that. You talk a lot about control. And I think this is an opportunity where there's an opportunity to change the things that we want control over. And maybe it's resetting or reframing to have more control over or change the way that we plan the meals so that there's less fighting. And I don't mean cook all your kids' favorites every day. I mean, things like cook something, you know, that they enjoy, put something, you know, they enjoy on the plate, something you want them to try and something that maybe they don't love, but you know that they'll eat it. Right. Because really pays dividends to, I mean, I love to rotate the family's favorites, right? And it doesn't mean I cook everybody's favorite meal and I don't cook what I love. I always plan to cook what I love, but I incorporate things that I know that they will because then they know that they feel seen, loved, and heard. And they feel that sense of significance, right? And it's really about transforming mealtime into that space. And there are so many different ways that we can do that. So I encourage anybody who's listening to, we'll have all our contact information in the show notes, obviously reach out to Megan or reach out to me if these are things that you need help with, because our kids deserve it. And we deserve more at mealtime. We all do for it to really be that sense, that really piece of connection, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. There's lots of things we can do to give our kiddos power and control that they're so desperately wanting it during mealtime so that they feel inspired to cooperate during mealtime. It's a dance. It doesn't have to be a war. It really is a dance of give and take. And that's our best work. And mealtime is so important. So I want to come back to some actionable tips and strategies again, because I feel like that's the most helpful if you're talking to a mom who's at that foundational level, right? We've talked about tips and tricks for less demands. Tell us some of the guardrails, like you mentioned one with your daughter. I I say guardrails, you say boundaries, but in terms of like to bring them in and let them have that sense of experimentation, you mentioned discovering that you needed to have it. It can't be in any bigger of a cup. Are there other guardrails or boundaries that you found to be helpful? And does that vary by age or do you just have some kind of tried and trues that you found to be very helpful given the different kids in your household? Yeah. So I think one of the number one things we can do across the board every day is front load our expectations. If we want to, if we can see our kid needs some connection and we know we've got a lot to do, we really don't want all the kids in the kitchen. That's perfectly fine. But if we want that one kid to come in for that one minute, we can say, we can front load that expectation. So we could say, you know, Hey buddy, come here. I have a question for you. And then, so they're going to come and then you can say, I just need a little bit of help. Would you like to, you know, we want to give a choice. Would you like to cut the cheese really quickly? Or would you like to break some broccoli? And then you can go right back. Would you like to do that? I only need help for one minute. And they're most likely going to say yes. And then they're going to get some power because they get to choose which one. And then you've front loaded one minute, then you can send them back and they are loaded up. And while they're doing that, you can give them a back rub, whisper in their ear. Thanks buddy so much. I love being by you. You light me up and then thank him. And then he can go. And so that front loading, no matter what it is, we're going to the park. We're going to be here 30 minutes. What's our plan for getting back to the car? So front loading is such a powerful strategy. Just letting our kiddos know the expectations ahead of time. Even better is asking them, hey, what's we're going to the park. What's our expectations here? When they tell us, they're giving us buy-in. I love that. The framing of it of I need help. 
And which of these things would you rather do? Yeah. It's not get in here and help me. It's exactly. not, I need you to do this. Yes. I, I hope that whoever's listening can, and or watching can really feel how that changes the, the energy and the tone of that conversation. I, with you, I also get parents saying my kid hates cooking. And I'm like, that is so interesting and so telling to me. So mm-hmm. we, wherever you are in the cooking journey, journey, when we invite, so, Hey buddy, I have a quick question. Would you like to cook with me? I have about one minute or anyway. And if they say no, say, Oh, okay, cool. Maybe next time. This is about connection. We cannot make it about control. I love that. You hit on something else earlier about really as parents and perfectionism and looking back to our own childhoods. And I've had some amazing conversations with different moms and different women. And it really is that relationship when you hear, I hate cooking or I don't like cooking at all. It's really interesting to really dig into what created that. And it's not always what I want you to think about is it's not always negative experiences. I had a friend, Lynette Williams on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and hers was always wanting to have her own non-traditional. She didn't want to follow that same traditional lifestyle that she grew up with. And she said, I loved having my mom home. I loved that she cooked for us all the time. I just knew that I didn't want that to be my life. And that transformed into, I don't think I like cooking because to her, that meant following in those footsteps. One thing I want to say, it's not always a negative that's causing us to have those feelings and those beliefs, right? And so really thinking about that and then deciding if you look at your mealtime routine today, whether it's your own or with your kids, do you like the energy that you're bringing to the experience? And if you don't, Let's change it. Yeah. Right. And yes. And be willing to reflect back on our childhoods and see was our parent resistant to us coming in? Like where, and maybe it was a, not a negative thing, just like you said, but we all have these triggers that mm-hmm. pop up. And are we repeating those patterns with our kids? Are we, you know, how is that looking? And just being curious and loving and grace, lots of grace with ourselves and with our parents. They did the best they could with the tools they had. I fully, fully, if we can believe that, then I think we'll all be on a different level of consciousness. But <laughs> if you have resistance, where's that coming from? And yeah, just being curious. Yeah. And if you want to have a conversation about it, by all means, book a call with me. I'm going to hand it over to Megan to tell us what she's got going on, where you can get in touch with her. And I do believe you have like a list of top 20 benefits of cooking with kids you can share. I can. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to connectedkidsthrive.com. Find me on Facebook. I have a big parenting group where we're cooking. Yes. But if you're there, if you're not there, you can kind of see what's going on and lots of strategies on how to empower kids to listen and cooperate the first time or even before the first time. So we can get away from that 500 to a thousand demands and commands so that we have harmonious, joyful households again. Yeah. You can find me there and yes, you can reach out to me and request that, or we may put it in the show notes. I have, do you have a document of 20 amazing benefits of cooking with kids that we should all be, if we can, receptive to. So it's amazing. My challenge to you listeners is when you get that 20 benefits, just look at one, figure out, just think about one of them. 
And how can you take one small step toward that? Just one small step. We're not we're not talking about trying to change everything all at once because that's when we set ourselves up for failure and we go right back into that perfectionism cycle, right? Got to do it all right now. I'm going to go from here to here. Okay, so I realized I forgot to ask you my favorite <laughs> kickoff of the interviews isn't, well, it was supposed to be an icebreaker question, but today we're just going to call it a fun question. Are you ready? Uh-huh. If you had to compete in an eating contest, what food would you choose to consume and why? Hmm. Uh, my gut's telling me spaghetti. Cause I think it'd be so hilarious. I don't watching the, or I don't know, all the noodles slapping up against your face. Oh, and all the slurping the, noises. The slurping. And I think it'd go down the throat easy. As long as there wasn't big meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. I'm going to keep this one up this week. And I'm, this is going to be my question of the week for everybody I come in contact with. And it's a fun one. Huh. I don't know what mine would be. Think about that. Mine would probably be popcorn. Oh. I can eat a lot of buttered popcorn. Now I might make myself sick, but I can do it. Then you'd never want popcorn again. That would be yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't found that to be true yet. True. Okay. Popcorn's amazing. Thank As- you so much for joining us. It has been such a pleasure. We will be sure to drop all the links in the show notes. And if you're interested in the previous podcast episode with Lynette about non-traditional breaking those traditions. So go back and check that out. And I will talk to you all again in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go hit that follow button, subscribe, leave us a review. And if you're ready to change what mealtime looks like for you, breaking that cycle of chaos and having more fun in the kitchen, build some confidence and discover your love of cooking, schedule your free dish with Trish call at the link in the show notes. We'll chat a few minutes and you'll walk away with personalized strategies to take your mealtime routine from tired to inspired. See you next time.